Well, we've been invited to be involved in one of the most amazing things going on. In fact, it's the most amazing thing going on on, on the planet, and it's the reaching for people in Jesus' name. It's reaching out to them, loving them, bringing them into his kingdom family, and we're supposed to engage in that. And the way that we're looking at that in this series is we're engaging through our faith and our serving and our generosity. And we're in the fourth and final message of this series today. We're looking at ways to make a kingdom difference in our city and in our region and in our world. And I want to launch into this message asking you to turn in your Bibles to um, Matthew's Gospel chapter 6 and Psalm 112, Deuteronomy chapter 15. There'll be some other verses sprinkled in there. I think we'll get through most of these today. And uh, some of you like to mark them in advance, I know that. So we're going to begin with Matthew 6 here in a moment. But let me just mention to you that when we engage in the kingdom, that is going to call us and it's going to require of us a participation in the realm of faith. We've got to believe at a certain level. Uh, and we've got to serve. We've got to connect with what God is doing in this world and use our gifts and our talents to make a difference. And then we also need to practice biblical stewardship and express generosity. And God is really up to something here. He's giving us capacity to, to release more out of our lives. I was talking to a guy in the mall last night from our church, bumped into him, and it was the same story I heard from one of our pastors that about four weeks ago when we started this series called Engage, and we did this offering declaration at the end, uh, his business was facing really dark times. Hardly any work, you know, probably almost laying people off, not enough to do. From that day forward, they have gotten a ridiculous amount of business. In fact, their company's going seven days a week right now. That's what happened when we prayed for some people here. So just know that that's really going on and God is at work. He's blessing people in their jobs, blessing them in their homes and in their careers. And we should not be surprised at that. By the way, heaven has an economy. Did you know that? And when we get into a right relationship with heaven... The favor and abundance of God is released to us here on earth. Think of it this way. There's no poverty in heaven, right? There should be no poverty on earth. There's no greed in heaven. There should be no greed on earth. There's no lack in heaven, no want in heaven. There really should be no wanting on earth. And so God has plans for us to step into this and be blessed. All for a purpose, right? We're talking about a purpose to it. So that... Others in this world can be blessed as well. That's the purpose. Increase should always lead to impact. In our last message here, we're going to look at matters of the heart because everything that we're engaging in will touch on the issues of the inner life and the heart. And there's a verse in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 that puts it this way, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Wow, what an important verse in the Bible. That one's worth putting to memory. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Another translation says, all of the issues of life flow out of your heart. You want to have a good life? Pay attention to your heart. Make sure that it's beating well. And in our hearts, the big questions are always answered and determined. And uh, we should realize how important it is to take care of our hearts. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 6. At verse 19, he said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Then he says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. If you want to know where your heart is, just, just identify your treasure. What do you treasure in life? It's going to be a map to point you to where your heart really is. So where is your heart these days as you think about pursuing the kingdom of heaven expanding in this world? What is your heart doing? What's it saying to you? Uh, What's going on in the inside of your soul? And what is your treasure? You know, on one occasion, Jesus said this. He said, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? And I don't know about you, but I want the true riches. And I know that they're not the things of this life. Not that we don't appreciate the things of this life. They're a blessing. We take them, we use them, we steward them well, but they're not the ultimate treasures. Are you with me? Okay, so we're going to look at our main passage now, Psalm 112. I want you to turn there, just the first five verses. This is what we're basing our message on this morning. The rest were just springboard verses to get us going here in the matters of the heart. Psalm 112, words will be on the screen. Here's the word of the Lord to us. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in the darkest light, dawn, or light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. I love this psalm for many reasons, but mostly because it shows us what the life of a blessed person is like. How many of you want to be a blessed person? You want to just receive blessing from God? That should be all of us. We want to be a blessed people. So what does a blessed person look like? What do they value? Uh, What's important to them? How do they live? What do they set their hearts upon? All of that is found in Psalm 112. It's dealing with the issues of the heart. So here's the key question. What kind of a heart does a blessed person have? Because out of the heart come all the issues of life. We're going to look at that for a few moments today. Here's the first thing. The heart of a blessed person is a heart of awe and delight. That's what it says there in the first verse. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Now, whenever you hear that phrase in the Bible, and it shows up a lot, fear the Lord, you have to understand what fear is all about. Because there's two kinds of fear. One is good and one is not good. The bad kind of fear that we can have in our lives is a fear of terror and, uh, and, and, and avoiding God and running away from Him. It's a fear that pushes us away from Him. That we don't want. Then there's a good kind of fear it's the fear of God and his, his nature, his being, and we're in awe of him, we're in reverence over who he is, and uh, that fear actually draws us towards him. So it's a fear that endears us towards his presence. The original word for fear means to have awe, uh, to be in reverence, to be stunned by, and to even tremble in the presence of. And so whenever you're thinking about the fear of the Lord, think of a fear that should bring you closer to God. It should not take you away from Him. There is no fear in perfect love, the Bible says. Perfect love casts out all fear. That's all the bad kind of fear. But we fear God in a healthy way. We fear Him with our awe, and we have reverence for Him. There's a verse in the Bible that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, not with paranoia and anxiety, 
but with a healthy kind of reverence for God, an awe in Him. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. Fear and awe are necessary for a healthy heart. That's what was in the church back in the book of Acts, right? Tells us there that great fear came upon the people and there was great awe in their midst. There were so many signs and wonders being done in the name of Jesus that the whole church and the surrounding city and community were like, they were in awe of what God was doing. It's about having a heart that is in awe of God. But there's another word here that I want you to look at. It's the second word that appears in verse number two, or verse number one. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Now that word delight is something really exquisite. And when you chase it around in the Bible and it shows up in different places, it often brings with it the idea of having a banquet. Anybody been into any banquets lately? This is banquet time of the year, right? We're, we're eating more, we're putting on weight, right? We're staying up too late, we're barely making it to church and all that. You know, and we're delighting in things. And, and we're taking the time to have fun. And uh, the word delight means to have pleasure in, to taste and to receive favor. So, I want you to imagine something for a moment here with me. Just let your sanctified imagination run a little bit loose for a moment here. And and imagine with me that tomorrow night, you're going to go to a banquet. And you can't wait for it. And uh, it's going to be an awesome, delightful experience. You're going to really delight in some things. So, you arrive at the location, and let's just pick a really hipster place. Um, Some old brick building that's been restored, turn of the century, with squeaky hardwood floors, because that really helps. And you come in, and you've got, they've got the Thomas Edison light bulbs hanging there, and the, the atmosphere is so delightful. And there's a jazz trio off in the corner, softly playing, just setting some ambiance. You come in, you sit at the lounge area, they bring you some brisket. Man, isn't that a good thing? They bring you brisket. You dip it in sauces. You eat it. You're tasting it. You're going, this is a delightful experience. And then they move you to your table, and it's candlelit, and you know everything is just so perfect. And the person serving you, you know, explains the menu and describes the delightful experience you're going to have if you choose this or that. You know, even the water tastes good in this place. You know, it's just one of those locations. So you order your meal, and then comes the crisp lettuce thing, right? The greenery part of the meal, and you, you savor those, those bites going down. Then the main course comes, and the bread. Some of you might have a glass of wine. Some of you don't think you can, you know, and you just figure that out. And you're sitting there, and you're enjoying the ambiance. And you're taking this moment in, and it's good, and you're, you're just delighting in it. And you're with someone that you love. And you're just there in the presence of another person that you really care about, and you don't want it to end. That's what it means to delight. And God says, that's the experience I'm setting up for you when you delight in my commands, when you delight in my word. It's like a banquet. It's like a feast that will nourish your soul. And the heart that delights in God's heart actually is a heart that is is banqueting at his table and his word is what is feeding them. It gives you great satisfaction in your life when you're doing that. So in my own life this last week, I've been delighting in a couple passages in the Bible. 
one of them is uh, Psalm 2. I've been, I started reading it a week ago, and I keep going back because there's more to eat there. Right? Psalm 2 at verse number 8, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. I'm like, Wow. So I've been asking God for that because I have the same inheritance as Jesus, right? I'm in alignment with that with him. And then I'm, I'm reading in another area of the Bible, Psalm, or sorry, Isaiah 49. I invite you to, you know, this week join me there. Just keep going over Isaiah 49. Uh, here's one thing he says here in verse 6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Look at verse number 7. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Now, I just gave you a little glimpse into my devotional life there. It's not what the sermon's about. The point is, I've been having a banquet in the Word of God. Seriously, I'm in those texts I'm reading them. I'm writing them out in my journal. I'm saying them out loud. I'm praying them through. I'm praying them for us. And I believe that God is just giving us a feast there in his word to take advantage of if we want. And you might have your own dish with God that you're eating from these days. The question I've got for you is, are you a person who delights in the commands of God? Because if you are, you're going to be well fed. See, there is a correlation between being prosperous and being a person who delights in the word of the Lord. There's this connection. And so if you take this book, this book called the Bible, and if you receive its message, and if you align yourself under its teaching, and surrender to it, and hear it and obey it, I'll tell you something, you're going to get blessed. You're going to be blessed. Why? Because your heart is delighting in the right things. Now, I meet people every now and then who are trying to prosper, but they're not men and women of the word. And um, the funny thing is, they still prosper, right? They still get ahead in huge ways, and it's quite amazing to me. And that's because there's other laws at work that God has built into creation that allows them to prosper even if they're not in his word. And uh, the danger with getting ahead that way financially and material-wise uh, without uh, being a person of the word is it can really wreck your life it can make you exhausted, and it can trouble you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, but he adds no sorrow to it. So God's blessing does include some kind of increase in this realm, in the area of material things. But when God is blessing us, there's no sorrow in it. Now, if we're not people who meditate on the Word and take in the revelation of God in the Scriptures, I guess what? We can get prosperous, we can get ahead in life, but it's going to exhaust us. It's going to do things to us that shouldn't be done. And so the answer to that, of course, is get into the Word. Be a person who, who lives in God's book every single day of your life. I love Psalm 1. It says this, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. That's in your Bible. You want to prosper? You can. All you need to do is get your heart into alignment with the word of God. 
They meditate on the word day and night. So think about that. God has given you a ramp, uh, an exit to take to get onto a highway called blessing. And, and that detour, not detour, that, that road takes you up onto the high ground of his will for your life. And it's the road of the word. We've got to have that word in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our thinking, in our actions, in our decisions all the time. So I'm asking you, based on Psalm 112, do you have a heart of awe? Do you have a heart of wonder when it comes to God? Are you so in tuned with what his spirit is doing that you're like, God, you're so amazing. You're sneaking up on us all the time. And do you have a heart that delights in his word? Do you banquet? Do you feast on the word of God? Those are indicators of whether you're a blessed person or not. And you know, the heart of a blessed person sees something happen to the next generation of people. Look at verse number two. It says, their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. So it's a blessing that goes from one group of people to the next generation. It flows from one set of parents to their kids, and then those kids will grow up, and it'll flow from them to the next generation. I think that means that you and I, if we are walking in the blessing of God, we can actually claim that blessing to go to the next group of people underneath us. That's why it's so important that we be thinking about the next generation all the time. Because the decisions that we're making now are actually shaping their very lives. Do you realize that? I'm saying that to myself lately. Every decision that we make as a church, every meeting that we have, every song that we sing, every prayer that we pray, every sermon that we preach is shaping us and we're sowing into our future right now. There's going to be a reaping, but there has to be a sowing. So think about all those people who are not in this room who are younger. Think about all of our kids here who are in kids' ministries. Think about all of our youth that are part of our church. Think about all of those young lives, a couple hundred of them every Sunday here. We are stewarding them. Now, ultimately, it's parents who steward their children. You're ultimately accountable to God for that. And our role is to resource you, bless you, equip you, encourage you, stand with you, and we play a role in that. But think of what happens if we don't do that. Now, the good news is when we do take care of that, when we do steward our children well, guess what? A whole generation will rise up. They will be the next pastors, international workers, social justice people, champions of of causes in this world, business leaders, marketplace professionals. They are the next generation of leaders of the movement of God. We've got to steward them well right now. Every day counts. Every week counts. And so we are thankful to God for the opportunities he's given us in this church to raise up another generation of young lives. We've got to make decisions with them in mind, right? The Chinese have a saying that in business or in life, when you make a decision, make a 100-year decision. Now, in our part of the world, we kind of make decisions for like 10 years. We think, wow, that's really long. That's not long. Think about 100 years. A 100 years from now, who will be part of this church? We'll, we'll be gone, right? We'll be, we'll be translated. We'll be up in heaven. Uh, we'll be there forever. If we know the Lord, we're going to be up there. Who's going to be here? There's going to be a group of people. What will they be like? What will they be doing? We're sowing into that right now. 
We're shaping the future generations with what is happening in this place right now. We've got to see the connecting line between our values today and our convictions and our decisions and those of tomorrow's generation. So I'm asking you to think about that as it relates to what our church needs in the years ahead right here. What do we need in terms of worship services? How many services will we need in six months? What kind of a building will we need eventually in the future? Um, What does God want to do with our youth in the city? Uh, What kind of ministries will need to be launched to get us outside of the walls in a greater way? These are the things that we're sorting out now. And the future is looking really bright. The goal of all this is the stewardship of our hearts. And if we're delighting in the word of God, if we're in awe of his presence, we're going to be entrusted with the blessings of God. But here's the second thing that we want to look at here in our passage The description of a blessed person is they have a heart of compassion. A heart of compassion. And I think if there's anything that should define us as a people, it should be our radical compassion, our mercy, our kindness, our love, and our ability to meet people's needs and bring solutions. Psalm 112 verse 4, even in darkness, Light dawns for the upright. I I like that because, you know, if you're having a really bad day, guess what? There is light for you. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Are we a compassionate people? I think it's worth us visiting this topic here for a moment because I think a lot of people get confused on on a couple things. They, They confuse sympathy with compassion. Sometimes you could call compassion empathy, but for now, let's just call it compassion. Some people confuse sympathy with compassion. And biblically, compassion is very different than sympathy. Sympathy means I join you in your brokenness, pain, issues, hurts, wounds, anger, fear, ups, and downs. I come to your level, whatever that is, and I embrace it with you and I stay there. I am sim, I am with you, I join you in becoming like you. Sympathy at first sounds like a good thing to do, but it's flawed and faulty compared to what the scriptures call us to, which is compassion. And compassion has a posture of caring for people, um, identifying with them in their brokenness and their pain, coming down to their level to assist them and lift them up but not live there where they are. You get what I mean here? It's, it's got a posture of I'm coming into your world and I'm going to be someone who's going to provide a blessing here and some help and some relief, but we're not staying here, we're coming up. That's compassion. Sympathy will just stay down there, down in the trenches, down in the, in the, in the dark places. Compassion says, this is not a good place to live. Let's lift you out of this. Now, here's a secret. I think that for some Christians, they get so confused about this that they end up being sympathetic and not compassionate. And that's often because they're not healthy themselves. They don't, they don't have a healthy soul. They've got wounds and baggage and hurts of their, uh, of their own kind. And uh, they've not been healed of their stuff. So they see someone in pain. They go, oh, I feel just like you. And they join them in their, in their moment of sympathy. It's not good. Now you've got two people wallowing in it. Jesus modeled for us compassion. He wasn't giving out sympathy. He was moved by bowels of mercy, the Bible says. Compassion. 
He wept over his city. He agonized in prayer for the advance of the kingdom of God in in the midst of the people that he was with. He distributed food to the poor miraculously. He healed the sick, opened up the eyes of the blind. He's a great healer. He came to bring compassion and mercy to those who needed it. And he was strategic in doing that. He did not meet every single need that was there in Jerusalem when he was in that city. He met all the needs that his father was calling him to meet. Now, there's another extreme posture here that we need to kind of put on the wall and look at. And it's, the, um, it's what happens to us when we are so fearful of being compassionate, we end up not being moved at all. And we stand over in a corner and we're just isolating ourselves from human need. And, you know, we just walk by it all the time and we say in our minds perhaps, you know, it's your fault, you got yourself into that, you've got lessons to learn, and I'm sure you and God will work it out. Well, that's, you know, maybe not true of anyone in this room, but it's certainly the the way a person thinks when they're not compassionate. So how do you keep a heart of compassion alive in you? Here's one way you can do it. You need to practice this, and it's based on 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, you need to give cheerfully, not reluctantly. Look at what it says. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, for the record, this is not talking about tithing. And some people mistake that. They think, oh, good, so if I don't feel like tithing, I shouldn't because God's saying don't bother. No, that's, this is a verse about offerings. Tithing is something that is different. It just, it's God's portion. It belongs to him. We just bring it to his storehouse. But offerings, we get to be uh, involved in choosing what we do with that and where it goes. Paul, in this context, is raising up an offering for relief for some of the saints. And he's saying, if you're going to be involved in this offering, uh, give what you've decided in your heart to give. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion or pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's about being involved in things that God wants us to be involved in. And realize that we have a say in where our offerings go. God may put upon our hearts something in this city, something in the church, something in another part of the world, and we're to partner with him and release resources to it. That's a great way to step up generosity in our lives, to actually pray and look around. What are you going to show me, Lord? Where do you want me to practice generosity? But there's another way of practicing this. It's called compassion gifts. And it's when we meet immediate needs in people's lives. It could be something like this. You're selling your snow tires. And you put them on the internet. And someone comes to the door. And you know, you're, you're asking $300. And you look at them. And immediately you think, I should give them the snow tires. And in those moments, you have an opportunity by faith to practice generosity. Now, that's up to you and God, and maybe he's not going to ask you to do that. You might need to sell them. But there's moments, perhaps, when you're planning to do it this way, and God says, would you just step a little further? I want you to be more generous. This just happened to me this week. I took our dog to be uh, groomed, and we get her all nice and pretty before Christmas. We put a little bow on her neck. You know, she's the Christmas dog now. And uh, I got to drop her off on Friday, went to pick her up two hours later, and this lady works out of her home, and... She's awesome. We've been tracking with her for many years now, and she knows our dog. She's like, oh, Chloe, you know, and she brings her do- our dog into her house, and, and uh, she talks to the dog, and she does it in stages so the dog is relaxed, and 
I came back two and a half hours later. She says, oh, she's got a few more bumps on her body, and she notices everything about our dog. And uh, it's like, she says, I care about these little dogs. And I'm like, I gave her a 50% tip that day. Seriously. I'm like, I just love you. Man, you're awesome. And the way you've blessed our family by caring for our little dog is just amazing. I think those are those moments we want to seize, right? We want to seize them when they come our way. You know, someone asks you, can I, can I borrow this from you? Sure. Let them have it. And if it never comes back, according to the Bible, don't worry about it. That's what the Bible says. Be generous. Be compassionate. You can be compassionate by being involved in the Lioness Christmas Hamper Drive in our city. It is a worthy cause, and amen for the Lionesses of Airdrie. We thank God for what they do. You can be involved in our own compassion fund in our church here because we are distributing to people's needs, helping them with medicine and food and clothing, and at times putting gas in their cars and tires on their automobiles so they can drive and get to work. One theologian put it this way, God has put a disproportionate amount of scripture on the topic of the poor, showing us that we better do something about them. Wow. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Can't have this message without looking at Deuteronomy chapter 15 at verse 7. This is where we start to realize that the things in the Old Testament, many of them still apply in the New Testament. Deuteronomy 15 at verse 7. It says, this is to a generation of people who are going into the promised land. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, send them to social services and they will be taken care of. No, I, sorry. Read that wrong. Yeah, if any poor of your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land are there, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Let's go down to verse 10. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. That's a heart of compassion. It's a heart like God. That when we're, when we're in the proximity of need, we pray and we say, Father, am I to meet that need? Is that something that we're to take care of as a family? What, what's my role in that? Here's the final thing in our passage here. We're going to be a blessed people. We need a heart of generosity. I love the word generosity because it's such a big word and it conveys this whole idea of bringing life to other situations. Think of it this way. Um, plants generate other plants. Trees generate other trees. Animals generate other animals. All living things are to generate themselves. Same with humans. We see someone that we love. They love us. We get married. For many of us, we end up generating other people that sort of look like us. And we say that's part of generative behavior. But it shouldn't stop there. Life is full of moments when we can be generating something. And we can become generous on every occasion. It's not just a Christian thing to do, by the way. Uh, we often think that it's only the Christians who are generous. That is not true. 
Come on. Do you know how many people in this world are giving exorbitant amounts of money away and they don't even know Jesus? Seriously. Bill Gates, with his massive empire, is extremely generous. He's not hoarding it all to himself. In fact, he can't even spend it fast enough. Can't give it all away fast enough. I found this out recently, did research. John and Yoko Lennon in 1980 tithed. You can Google it. John, Yoko, Lennon, tithe, and you'll get the article. They tithed. He's a beetle. He didn't even claim to know Jesus, didn't like Jesus, said bad things about Jesus, and he's on record as saying his view of helping people in the world is through his tithing, he says. John Lennon tithed. Come on. And if there's people in the church, you know, here we are, we're like, oh, I don't know why I should tithe. Well, you know, if you like the Beatles, <laughs> come on. You're still singing their songs. You're playing them in your car. One of them was a tither. And he was nowhere near a Christian. Not even close. Not even on the radar. He was worth $150 million before he was killed in 1980. And he and his wife tithed. On record. That's just ridiculous to me. You might be born in a home where you're saying, I don't know, this is all new to me. Well, you don't have to get your cues from your home. Um, Read your Bible, right? Seriously. It, it, you get your cues from here and you realize, I could be a blessed person. I, I could be really blessed if I just practice these things in here. There's so many promises in this book. I want them all to be fulfilled in my life, don't you? So I'm just going to do them. Verse 5, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Lend freely, right? Releasing abundance. Generous people will not be those who hoard wealth. They're not going to hold on to it and go, you know, it's just mine. Jesus gave a parable about that in Luke chapter 12. Talked about the guy that was so rich and wealthy. He just kept getting increase and increase and increase. So he said, I can't store all my barns. I'll tear them down and I'll build new ones. Think about that. It's like tearing down warehouses that are too small and building bigger ones. Wow. And then he said, I'll just take my ease and I'll say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. That is the statement of a hedonist. I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry because it's all about me. It's all about my world and, and my assets and my stuff and, and my comfort. And God says to him in the parable, you fool. You know what a fool is in the Bible? A fool is someone who squanders an opportunity. That's exactly what it means in its original meaning. He squandered his opportunity. What opportunity? To be a blessing. Right? God blessed him with, with increase. His barns are overflowing. And instead of giving it away or portions of it and investing it in others, he hoards it. And he loses everything over that, even in eternity. So if you want to feel really alive, if you want to feel really good about life and where your future is going, you get there through the road of generosity. You just start being generous, and God notices that, and he goes, wow, you're being really generous. Hey, angels, take a look at so-and-so. They're being really generous. If they keep this up, we're going to have to really bless them. And you, you will get blessed somehow, some way. I don't know if it'll be materially or, or spiritually or relationally or in work or whatever or open doors, but you're going to get blessed. We are commanded to be generous. And at our church, it's one of our eight values. We just say, this is so intrinsically us. This is our DNA. We want to be known for giving stuff away. We want to be known for making a difference in this world. So, here's what we're going to do here at the end of this talk. 
Um, I, I want to encourage you to respond to whatever God has been saying to you in this series. And I want to invite our worship team to come on up here at this time. I, I just want you to think about the last four messages and, and what they have meant to you as we've looked at engaging our faith to the next level and our serving and now our generosity. What does that mean for you in your life and for where you're at? And for some of us, it might mean that you know, the challenge is we just got to begin to honor God in a whole new way. We want to honor him with his portion, bring it into his storehouse. We're going to get back to honoring God. Maybe we've started but stopped in that area. Or we want to catch up in, in what we do in that area. And some of us can actually take our generosity even to another level. We can look for situations. We can look for needs. And we can be the solution. It's very, very cool. But I want to encourage you to think even beyond that. I want to encourage you to think about ways in which this next year you're going to position yourself to engage the kingdom through your faith, through your serving, through your generous living. But here's what we're going to do at the end of the service. We're going to do something together that we did a couple times already in this series. We're going to do one more declaration over the offering. So I'm going to invite our host to come. And host, we just need you to be up here Stand with us, because we're not going to take it yet. Come on right up. And uh, we're going to do an offering declaration together. And then we're going to sing and close off our service. And I want you to know that God has been doing amazing things while we've been stepping out in faith. This is our third offering declaration in this series. You can find them on our website under the teaching menu, because we're saving them for you. They were prayerfully written for this church. They're not copied off the internet. They're ours. And we're going to declare over this offering God's blessing, God's provision, God's abundance for us and for our city. Just before we do that, I want to ask you to do one thing for us because I know so many of you have been blessed. I did this at nine. I was shocked how many people indicated that that was true for them. I want you in a moment to stand did this a couple of weeks ago. Stand if in the last four weeks you've gotten a raise in pay, a new job, increased hours, gone to full time, received a check in the mail or a check in your bank account, some new client's work has been solidified, you've got a bonus, your investments have multiplied, or some kind of special gift has arrived in your lap, or any kind of financial breakthrough. Anything at all where there's been increase. I know this is for a lot of you. So if that lands on you, would you just stand up? We're going to celebrate with you. We're just going to let this be seen. All right. So just turn around, those of you at the front, take a look behind you, how many people are standing. Can we celebrate that? We thank God for that. Wow. God is a provider, and he's a great giver. He wants to bless us even more. Let's all stand together. We're going to do this offering declaration. It's our third one. Now, I want us to engage this with a heart of faith, not through kind of a ritualistic approach, but to really declare this by faith. These are all scripturally-based truths that we can believe God for. So you'll see the words on the screen. Let's say it like we mean it. Ready? Here we go. God, as we bring you our offerings, we're seeking for heaven's blessing released into Airdrie. 
this region to thrive economically, knowing it is you who gives the ability to create wealth. We believe you will rebuke the devourer, protecting us as we faithfully bring your portion into this storehouse. We will not live in financial fear because nothing is impossible with God. We embrace our responsibility to change the world through bold praying, authentic living, honest business, and excellence in our jobs, doing good where we live. We commit to passing the torch of faith to our kids, youth, families, and everyone as we declare your power to the next generation. We call on you for continuous renewal, revival that never ends, the encountering of your presence so that our hearts will burn with the fire of your spirit. Awaken us to embrace our kingdom life as a people of word and spirit, experiencing true community so that thousands may turn to you, finding hope, healing, and freedom. Lord, build right here a kingdom city, a people who dwell on your high places, where your peace is made known throughout the world for the honor, glory, dominion, and power of the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Stay standing. We're going to sing together. Let's lift this up to the Lord.